0: This week on a lively experiment, the lottery controversy takes center stage at the State House as Twin River ups the ante. And the state's commerce corporation looks to rein in a new tax credit program. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by
1: For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Ed Acorn,
0: editorial page editor for the Providence Journal, Susie Yankee, chairwoman for the Rhode Island Republican Party, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Hello, and welcome to a lively experiment. It's great to have you with us this week. Get ready to hear a lot about gambling, the lottery, IGT, and Twin River. It began Thursday night with a Senate hearing on the governor's proposed no-bid contract with IGT. This comes the day after Twin River announced it will partner with a Canadian firm to offer the state an alternative to IGT. Ed, let me start with you. The hearings last night, this is the beginning of what's gonna be a month long. The governor's supposed to be testifying next week. And what I took away from it is, some of the senators had some pretty good questions and were a little skeptical about this.
1: Right, it's a very tough issue, I think, because these IGT jobs are very important to the state. Um, You wanna try to keep them here if you can, but I think the pressure is building to the point where you may have to put this out to bid. Uh, This uh, proposal this week by uh, Camelot Lottery, uh, joining up with Twin River, they're a serious company. Uh, they're saying we can come in with a better deal for the taxpayers of Rhode Island than uh, IGT, and so it's. I'm looking forward to seeing what these hearings turn up. I hope they take it seriously and ask tough questions. They seem to start well, and uh, I think we we desperately need the legislature to do the vetting here and uh, figure out whether this is a better deal or going out to bid is. But we're getting close to bid, I think.
0: Sue, so the, uh, the GOP, you said two weeks ago you felt that uh, there was a conflict already, and given what the speaker had said. So set the table on that.
2: Sure. The Rhode Island GOP actually filed an ethics complaint against the governor because we believe that her and Don Schweitzer, who is a lobbyist for IGT or business associates, and we actually got the Ethics Commission by a vote of six to one to agree with us to look into it in an investigation. And our contention really is that this should be a bid. You know, they, It's a $1 billion 20-year contract. And no other state in the country has a 20-year contract. Most of them are five three to five, or there are two that are ten-year contracts. So it's a long, long period of time. And the landscape has certainly changed in gambling. You know, in 20 years, what is it going to look like? You know, 20 years ago, Massachusetts didn't have gambling. So we really think in order for the residents and the taxpayers, it should have gone out to bid. Should have.
3: One thing I would suggest is the IGT Twin Rivers war reminds me of the Iraq Iran war. <laughs> it's hard to root for anybody in it. Yeah, um, you know, in, in between these two big gambling giants, you know a lot of people are pulling in some pretty big paychecks at the state house, though, right? The
0: consultants, the lobbyists, oh, right? Oh,
3: yeah, it's a it's a full payday for for anyone who's who's sort of involved in the consulting or lobbying and. Um, I'd say a couple things. One is I think the business is so, it's, it's an inventive claim to say they're business associates. I think it's, it, it, there's no business really. I mean, unless you say the DGA is a business. So I think, I think that's a, I, I give the GOP credit for creativity and, and getting some good press. I think that's a, a bridge too far. I do think that, tw- and, and it is unique. Because we're talking about, as Ed said, we're talking about 1,100 jobs, so it's a little different than than other places that don't have a big business based here. IGT that could move. On the other hand, the 20-year, I think, the, even if you even if you go for a, say, in this case, the deal's good enough, and because of the special IGT relationship with Rhode Island and the jobs, it might make sense not to bid it. 20 years is a long time in a fast-changing industry. So I, I also think that the legislative scrutiny is welcome and. And it's, it's, I think it's a complicated decision at the end of the day for the state did, there's not, you, not a clear right answer. Did you want to respond to that on Mr. Schweitzer?
2: no I actually do believe that they are business associates and when you enter into a relationship like that you know it's typical Rhode Island I know a guy you know I know a guy so I'm going to give it uh, the best deal to them I don't fault IGT I think that they are doing the best job that they are for their shareholders So when
3: governor Kachiri extended the IGT deal was he a business associate with somebody there no but well, I'll say I, I, this is a long playing record right it's having, a, it, and, and and what's the business you know, I understand the, that he, they, they contribute by the way twin Rivers evidently gave 100 grand to the DGA too. They're both longtime contributors to the DGA, so I don't get. I understand we. Well, this yeah, is correct. her
1: right-hand man at the Democratic yeah, Governors like, Association, and this, he's very important to her in pursuing a national political career. Right. So uh, it's is it is a very incestuous relationship.
3: I, I don't disagree that that there's that there's a relationship and that there's a question about contributions and what they say. All I'm saying is this is a long-playing. Re- relationship that every governor's had with IGT, and, and it's not a business. So it'll be interesting to see what the Ethics right. Commission does. So, I, I, again, I think it's creative. I give you credit for it. But I think it's in terms of the specific charge, I'm not saying there's not something to look at here, I think it's a little, a bridge too far. Yeah.
0: I also wonder, Ed, if, you know, we, and we've talked about this before, if the governor had not gone, no, it's, th- it's still three years out, if the governor had gone through it and not done this whole kind of at the end of the uh, legislature uh, legislative session when everything's flying right and left, whether it's more form over substance, really, that at the end, IGT may be the company, but right. the way she went about it. And, and so I wonder what you think about Process. They may not
1: be. Well, it seemed to be teed up as the classic... Uh- <laughs> Rhode Island job where you just jam it through at the end of the session with no scrutiny. And I think in the world, in the post-38 studios world, it's harder to do that. And I think the legislature was uh, very wise and very responsive to the public in saying, well, wait a minute, let's slow this down. Let's take a look at it. Even though I think the the legislative leaders were supportive of it at the beginning. I don't know if they are now. I suspect they are still, but if they want to they did the right thing slow it down let's have hearings let's talk about it
2: i think ed is absolutely right let's look at it let's make sure that this is the best deal and igt has been a great company for rhode island you know we can't lose sight of that they have but we really ma- need to make sure that the residents get the best deal
0: what would you like last word what would you like to hear out of these hearings i mean it's so complex and i know there's going to be a lot of information flying but what would you like i'd to like hear?
3: to understand why the deal needs to be 20 years could, could you put a deal together that had out clauses so, so we could look at this like five years out, ten years out that that strikes me as the most troubling piece of the puzzle here. I do think the twin R- rivers role is a little interesting because they 've got their own issues with which is trying to maintain gambling revenues so that that worries me to have in other words the, the concern is that that Gtech has Excuse me, IGT has uh, eighty-five percent of the lottery machines. Why would you then uh, of the gambling machines? Why would you then you want to have Twin Rivers have control of the whole deal? So the whole, I think you need to look at the whole thing and maybe there's an option C. You're
0: channeling your inner Rhode Island, what GTEC used to be. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. uh, Another thing in the news this week: a small business development fund that was passed in the waning hours of the general assembly. Uh, The governor is now saying, I think that again depends on uh, who you listen to. It's either. Going to be the next thirty-eight studios, or this is really going to prime the pump in another area of business development. But it's interesting Sue, that the governor and the Commerce Corp have said this is something created by the legislature. We need to put the brakes on a little bit, which I kind of came out of left field for me. But what do right. you think about it this? It seems
2: as if the the governor and the legislator are at odds with each other. You know, and my contention is, is this another example of crony capitalism? You know, why don't we put policies and procedures in place that all businesses can benefit from? Eighty percent of our businesses in Rhode Island are small businesses, and they are picking and choosing winners consistently over and over again. Uh, Thirty-eight studios was picked as a winner. It turned out to be a loser. Make your policies and procedures to attract all businesses that want to come here.
0: But on the other side of it, Larry Berman, who was a spokesman for the speaker, said Listen, this is kind of filling a gap that the governor has not done through the Commerce Corporation. So they want to put some, some controls on it, but I wonder, you know, they, they're fighting right back saying, no, 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 we right. had an intention that the governor...
3: Well, I'd suggest two things. One is that if you're going to be in the economic development business, unless all the other states you disarm, there's going to be the need for, for tax incentives and credits. I think the governor's gone about that pretty smartly. Not, not, um, in terms of doing this, In terms of, but there is a gap with existing small businesses. So, the, so I think the question going forward is, when, when I looked at this program, I think it's well-intentioned, but it does need rules of the road. So the question is, can you put enough rules of the road, one to have a level playing field for all the small businesses, and, and also to make it not risky for the state? And I think that's possible to do, but it only makes sense for the commerce corporation to, to do that. That's their job.
1: I think this reflects a growing uh, division between the governor and the legislature about these economic development programs. Uh, I think eventually they gave her a blank check in the first few years of her administration on economic development. And I think there's a growing sense these millions of dollars poured into it have not uh, produce the results they promised. So I think uh, the legislature came up with this different package, and now the governor's fighting back against that.
0: You've been generally supportive. It, it, saying I have. In the first couple of years, what is your assessment now three, four years in on how, how it's been?
1: It's mixed. Uh, the, you've brought some people in here. You've created some energy, but I don't think it's uh, done as well as the governor had promised. And uh, I'm concerned about the broader picture of the state's economy uh are we doing the things in terms of uh taxes and business competitiveness to to really energize the economy rather than just trying to pick a few winners at the top but i think you have to do both actually i think the governor's governor was wise to bring in the brookings institute to look at the uh state what are our areas where we can uh really have a chance to grow and give those a little bit of a boost. You do uh, the Brookings Institute. You could have written half that report.
0: <laughs> I, just, you know, whatever, with all due respect to the Brookings Institute.
1: But it's a two-part part thing. you got to do that, but then you also have to do the broad-range economic uh, changes to make us more uh, interesting to businesses.
3: Um, one of the main things we can do going forward, and and it's a hard problem, but, but and, and Ed's been editorializing a lot about it in a good way, is improve public education, because right. right. that's one of the, uh, in, in, besides tax structures, obviously important, but one of the big disincentives for, for businesses, or certain amount of employees, one is that we're going to have, they're going to get a quality workforce, and two is, are there employees that come here, can they send their kids to public school? And that's, that's where we're behind. Are you reading my list here? It says <laughs> the
0: next <laughs> topic He's, I have. You're segueing. <laughs> Providence politicians, kids. Uh, if you didn't see the story, Ian Donis, a panelist here uh, from Ro- Rhode Island Public uh, Radio, had a great piece on, well, it's an interesting piece, and I don't know what to make of it, that he went and said, OK, of all the people who have kids, uh, politicians in Providence, whose kids go to public school and whose go to private? So you have 38 officials. There are only 13 kids. But it's less than half that are actually in the Providence public schools. Maybe that's not a surprise, but maybe it is.
2: Yeah, equal opportunity education. I think that's what we're going for. E- you know, when you have a child, the most significant thing that you do with that child is make sure that they're well-educated, and that's the parent's role, to make sure that you find the best fit for your child. So do I blame the Providence politicians for wanting to send their, their students to the best school? No, but you're leaving all those other parents with no opportunity to leave. And Mayor Lorza has put the kibosh, he's put the brakes on expansion of charter schools. He's not giving the parents the opportunity to actually leave failing schools. So, you know, why not look at the lowest 20 percent? If, if those schools are failing, why not give those parents an opportunity to pick and choose where they can go to schools? You know, be able to leave to go to a different public school, be able to leave to go to a different charter school. Why not give them that, those opportunities?
1: That, that's the whole issue. The politicians uh, understandably want to send their kids to the best schools they can but they block the opportunity for lower-income parents to do that. And that's just morally wrong. I think uh, there's a huge waiting list, for instance, to get into Achievement First in Providence, which has scores that are challenge East Greenwich and Barrington. It's, um, and it's shameful, I think, not to try to roll out the ideas that are working at Achievement First and try to help more kids.
3: I generally agree, actually. I mean, if you look at the Providence schools, I think there should be more um, charter school opportunities. But it's not a panacea. If you look at, for example, Philadelphia, a third of the schools now are charter schools in Philadelphia because they went to that model mm. when the state took over, by the way, the Philly school system for a while. Um, and it's been a mixed bag. So, so it's, you, still need, you still need to deal with two issues. One is you need to improve basic public education for everybody because everyone's not going to be in the charter school. And, and two is, um, you need to be able to fund the schools, and there there is an issue with the funding formula. That doesn't mean there shouldn't be more charters, but there is an issue because because of how the money travels. So you got to solve that. That might mean more state funding. It, it's not as simple as just saying let's have a charter school on every corner. But generally, I agree there should be more choice, and and it's really critical for, for. for parents to have that option for kids.
0: The larger issue is what we've talked about uh, all summer here on Lively, and, and it was the discussion of the state. Providence schools are now back. The state is now finally getting the, the keys to the car. And Ed, you, you and I had talked before the show that already there's opposition trying to get in the way. Nobody, You know, it's like, so you bring in the commissioner, they do the state intervention, right. and, and, and we seem to be hearing two things from the mayor. We talked about this last week. You know, I don't object to you coming in, but I don't object to the objectors objecting to you. It's like, what are you
1: doing? Right. They're, they're obviously, the forces of the status quo are trying to weaken the new uh, education commissioner why? Why do before you- she even gets. Well, why do you think she's going to challenge some very uh, powerful economic interests if she changes the schools? And I think we have to say, wait a minute, uh, we've tried that for 20 years. We're going to try something different. This is an emergency, and we're going to get behind her. We're going to plow the path for her and let her try to change these schools because the results of that Johns Hopkins study are just horrifying. We
0: haven't had you on since that study, so this is your first crack at uh, Providence.
2: Sure, this shouldn't be surprised. In 1993, a similar report. Came out. So for 25 years, everybody has ignored what has been going on in the Providence schools. And that's a generation after generation after generation that we have failed. The governor has brought in um, a new educational commissioner who I think is smart. She is focused. Let her do her job and stop putting hurdles in her, in her way because she has really identified what the problems are. Let her go figure it out. And she's a disruptor. Let her disrupt the status quo because what has been going on is not working.
3: I agree. I mean, I, wait we, a minute.
2: Smart <laughs> <to agree laughs> to to do
3: it. You're very disappointing. Do it. I know. I'm he
2: sorry. realizes how I'm smart sorry. and intelligent and well reasoned I am. The yet, <laughs> exactly.
3: exactly. We'll, get, we'll get back to that and disagree. Um, Two out of three. I agree. But if you look at the history of state takeovers, we also have to be realistic. Um, there's a good, there was a good article about Lawrence in the, in, in the journal where it worked. Most places, um, it, it's, it's a very mixed bag. It's, it's not necessarily the answer, but we're going in this direction. We need a supporter. But in any education system, it's not just the, the powerful special interests. There's going to be pushback on whatever you do. So it's, it's a matter of her, her plowing forward and the political leaders, particularly the governor and the mayor, giving her the backup she needs. On the other hand, she also could use some some press assistance because she has created a couple of her own problems. Yeah. With with, with you know, th- there's a way to say what she's saying in a in a different way, and and so I think she also needs to look in the mirror and say, hey, I I'm going to make some tough decisions, but I can do it with a, with a little better bedside manner because you can still make the tough decisions but look like you're welcoming of of input, mm-hmm. and not be quite as harsh. I did I didn't think, by the way, the first thing I wouldn't send my kids to the province public schools. Very honest. Not, not a great way to start. Yeah, well,
1: I think you do have to speak out when you see how horrific conditions are for these students. I think it's a shameful state of affairs for Rhode Island, and I think it's, this is our civil rights challenge. Uh, we can't keep, uh, we can't let another generation of these poor kids uh, go through schools this way.
3: But, but you do need to speak out, but you can speak out, and I'm not saying she's not, and do it respectfully, because as a leader, you're in a different role. You're, you're, you're in the media, we're in a different role, but, but as a We've leader, you need to bring had that for everybody. 25
1: years of people you know, stepping around and not being honest. We have to be honest you,
3: you now. Can, I, you, you can be honest and you can be diplomatic at the same time. And so I'm just, just, and also she needs to continue to build support. So if you want to build support, some of it's on her. Yeah, she's not the dictator of schools. All I'm saying is, and I'm very hopeful about it. I think it was the right move. So I'm, 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 I'm substantially agreeing. I'm just saying. There's still a way to do this. You get the last word.
2: Yeah, I think that when she came in, it was shocking. And that was her first visceral reaction to the situation that she walked in on. And we all have weaknesses. We all do. Um, And I just hope that she continues to plow through and doesn't throw in the towel. We've seen this before with education commissions that come in, and they know what the problems are, and they throw in the towel after 18 months. So I really am very hopeful that she stays for the long run.
0: All right. Uh, Ed Acorn, we're stepping into his uh, investigative reporter role this week. (laughs) Stay out of my territory. Uh, The Journal Editorial Board was able to obtain a letter uh, from the governor concerning the whole CARE New England lifespan. We've been down this road before. It's dissolved years ago. Now we have a little window into why. So your thought and where we go going forward with this.
1: Well, you took away my outrage of the week. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: I'll (laughs) come up with
1: another one. But uh, I... What, what the le- this letter that we obtained showed is the governor was saying uh, the sticking point of these merger negotiations was the insistence of CARE New England that they run the whole merged organization and that Dr. Finale be the, the uh, head of it. And it's, that's outrageous to me. I th- I, we should be looking at what serves the state's interest and the people. And I've, I think a merged system is the only thing that's going to save a very high-quality health care system in the state.
3: What do you think? Oh, I agree that we probably need a merged system, but the one issue is when you give, um, in terms of insurance rates and the rest, when you give that big a system, has that much leverage, you are, you are going to look at, higher insurance rates because hospitals drive a lot of the insurance reimbursements, so, so that would be one, one concern about it, but clearly um, not having a merger because of somebody's selfish personal interest is, is um, outrageous so I agree with that. Yeah,
2: I, When I read the article I think it was shocking that one institution was forcing their leader instead of working together for a merge system. And it is crucially important that we have high-quality health care. It is not only education, but to be able to service your residents here with high-quality health care. So and, like,
0: and the financial picture has changed for Care New England because their cash flow is not as bad as it was. They're were, you know, they not on the brink, but they still need that capital infusion. They've got a lot of stuff that they need oh, to do for the long run.
1: They're in a terrible financial shape, I think. I mean, they claim that they're, they're turning it around. Well, but, I
0: think cut and memorial really right. helped stem the but, tide a little bit.
1: But, boy, uh, you know, removing all our health care piecemeal up to Boston is not a plan that's going to serve uh, Rhode Island's future. And Lifespan is the Largest private employer in the state. We got to worry about this economically. We got to worry about our our health care here, and we got to worry about serving the people. This is not about egos. It's not about money. It's not about power. We've got to do something for the people of the state.
0: Okay. Let's go to uh, outrageous Sue. What do you have? Outrage or kudo, whatever you'd like.
2: Well, I'd say it's a combination of both. You know, the kudo is the Patriots are two and zero, oh, but. <laughs> What's the downside? Sports betting. That's killing the sports betting, which is going to leave another hole in our budget. So when the General Assembly shows back up in January, they're going to have a lot of discussions to do. Will they raise taxes or will they actually start looking at cutting spending? And I'm sorry, going to steal this. My kudo is to Ed here. (laughs) Every Drop of Blood. It's coming out March 3rd. I can't wait to read it and get a signed copy from him.
3: Oh, my goodness. There you go. Did you all that? Didn't expect that. Rob, what do you have? I want to echo since you stole my <laughs> suit. Republicans, you know, can't trust. No, I'm just I-, I want to echo. I'm really looking forward to reading Ed's book that's coming out in March on the, on the second inaugural, which is uh, one of the most famous, important speeches in American history. My outrage is um, President Trump's decision to um, deny temporary pr- protected status to our um, Bahamian neighbors, uh, of which two, uh, 50 died in Hurricane Dorian, 2,000 missing, uh, and 60,000 homeless. This was done routinely. What it does is it allow people to come to the United States for up to 18 months. And in doing so, he did what he usually does, which is invent things. He said he was doing it because he was concerned about all these gang members and all these drug dealers. Not one person in his administration, because there's no facts around that, could back that up. It's another case of, um, we're really not even talking about cracking down on illegal immigration. We're just talking about general cruelty and a crab blood and sm- soil vision of America. It's is, is of a piece with us, cutting our commitment to taking refugees at, at one of the all-time peaks around the world from thir- thinking about it's already down to 30,000 from um, about 70% decrease, I think then going down to 15,000. It, and it's. The whole idea of a welcoming America is being undermined. And that's still what most Americans want. All right. Thank you. Ed, is there any truth to the rumor that Abraham Lincoln was actually the first commissioner of baseball? Did you try <laughs> to
0: get in a little baseball <laughs> thing too with
1: They've that? They tried to connect him to baseball, but it's not. there's not a very strong connection. Right. So. What do you
0: have? Do you have an well, outrage or a kudos? You took
1: away my outrage. I'm and, sure you uh, have like five, Kudos eight. to you two for your kind words. And also uh, my feel-good story of the week was... Mike Yastrzemski, Carl oh, yeah. Yastrzemski's grandson, coming to Fenway and hitting a home run. That was cool. And, I mean, that's that's the beauty of baseball. It, it uh, links up the generations. It tells us about the history of America. And I just thought that was a wonderful moment, even though it's been a terrible season for the Red Sox generally. And not so good for
0: the Giants either. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, Either way. So uh, that was really And you nice. know what the
0: classic part is? I guess Yaz was at home. He came the next day, but he, he came and they were wandering around in left field, and they said, well, yeah, uh, Yaz will be watching this at home. I'm like, the kid comes 3,000 miles and they couldn't find a spot in Fenway Park. I guess he really does not like to go back to Fenway Park right. that much.
1: But he was there when the sun showed up, so that was yeah. kind of kind of a nice moment. That was cool.
0: Uh, if you didn't catch it, uh, Jimmy Carter, who is now pushing 95, 94, 95, five everybody thinks this was a dig at Bernie Sanders and and, uh, Joe Biden. It may be. He said, you know, we have minimum ages for a president. Maybe we should consider it a maximum age. we got a lot of people who are pushing into their late 70s. What what do you think about that?
2: You know, my mother is 98, and I think she could make a great president. (laughs) She is spry and um, combative. I will not serve
0: if drafted. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, certainly. So I think it's an individual. There are some 70-year-olds that are old. My mother actually volunteers in a nursing home and she says, I said, Mom, what do you do every day? She says, I push the old people around. The old people. And I said, you're older than most of them. So it really is dependent. Some 70-year-olds are old. Some of them are spry and young. So you have to look at each individual.
3: Thoughts about that? Oh, practically, you need a constitutional amendment. Oh, of course. course. Um, I, I think it's an interesting notion. I wouldn't support it, but there are Questions when when people reach a certain age, there are those questions. But I think the. Um I hate to be be this confident because sometimes it doesn't work out, but I think our electrical process, electoral process, excuse me, um, can sort that out. Well, and I also think through debates. Look, Joe Biden has had a couple of missteps.
0: Ultimately, if if he is the nominee and it's still early, then the American people get to take a look at and and they and they evaluate. Uh, it's a couple of missteps, or this guy's really losing it. Yeah, yeah
1: I totally agree. The voters are smart enough to uh, assess these candidates and make decisions.
0: Um, your thought, uh, political strategist that you are, uh, we the the field, we're taping this on a Friday morning, de Blasio's out now, they're beginning to narrow the field, the latest debate they had, uh, really w- what are considered the three frontrunners, uh, Senators Warren, uh, Biden, and um,
3: Sanders. W- what do you think? First of all, a, a, a cautionary note, John McCain in, I think, August of, of 2008 was out, was, was out of the race almost. Uh, 2007, came back and was the nominee. John Kerry was fourth or fifth, um, won Iowa. Won the, so I think it's still early. You can still pull something off on Iowa. Right now, Biden's a slight favorite. Um, person in a very strong position is Elizabeth Warren because she's positioned in the first two states. 15 seconds.
2: It's going to be fun. Pop the popcorn. Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> there we go. That's all we have. Folks, that is all the time we have. We appreciate you joining us. Rob and Sue, good to see you again. Ed, can hardly wait for March 3rd. We'll be <laughs> counting the days. And uh, if you don't catch us at uh, Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, you can can always go to any number of ways, YouTube, Facebook, or on Twitter. And now we have uh, your favorite podcast. So wherever we go, wherever you go, we can go with you. Uh, Come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. And have a great week, everybody. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by.
1: For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.